you, Sarah, for the reading. Thank you, Roy and Cynthia, for the incessions. Uh, we are finishing our series on um, the prophet Elijah. And so shall we just pray now together as we come to this wonderful passage in 2 Kings. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful life, a life lived well for God in the person of Elijah. And Father, we, although it be thousands of years ago, we pray your word would speak to us today and that his example of how he both lived and died for you, may that be our standard this morning. May you speak to us, Father, through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I wonder how uh, you all handle it in your lives when good things uh, come to an end. When good things come to an end. Uh, This week's been half term, as many of you all know, when the kids have been off school. It's been a good week, but it's going to come to an end tomorrow when the kids uh, go back to school. And Sundays is one of those kinds of days where you have to just spend a bit of extra care with the children, just prepping them. It's going to be all right. There'll be another holiday in six weeks' time (laughs) when we get to Easter. Because sometimes you're having such a good time in life and things that you don't want the good time to come to an end. It doesn't just have to be a holiday. I find it on many things in life. It could be... Um, a good book you're reading and you're like I just hope it doesn't end and you've only got a few pages left and uh, you're worried it's going to come to an end or maybe it's a nice meal or a good um, time with family whatever it is good times are hard when they come uh, to an end and many of us actually find that we approach life and death in a very similar way we all know our lives will one day come to an end. And some of us spend a lot of our time worrying and thinking about that, even if it might be quite a long way away. Or perhaps it's hard when you know perhaps it's closer than you hope it would be. How do you handle it when good things seem to be coming to an end? Do you panic? Do you get upset? Do you try and stretch out the good thing for as long as possible and stay up as late as you can before the next day comes, fearing tomorrow? How do you handle it? Or are you at peace? Are you calm about it and confident? Well, we're going to see two different ways um, that two very different people approach it in this story. Elijah handles the end of his life very well. Whereas, I want to compare just briefly for a moment how two of the evil kings that Elijah had opposed, Ahab and Ahaziah, how they approached the ends of their lives was very different. Ahab, do you remember King Ahab? He was the one that had all the prophets of Baal that Elijah spoke against and acted against, a very evil king with his wife Jezebel. What did he do when he was told his life was coming near to the end uh, and that he was going to be perhaps lose a great battle of war and he would die in the war? What did he do? He disguised himself. He, um, he didn't go out in all his king's chariots and all his fine regalia. He disguised himself as someone else so that he wouldn't get killed in battle. He tried to thwart death. He tried to cheat it 
to get out of it, to stretch out his life for as long as possible. And then if you know the story, I think it was a random arrow shot him, uh, a random arrow not aimed at him, just hit him and he died anyway. Uh, And then there's King Ahaziah, the one who replaced King Ahab. He had an accident, he fell out of a window, out of his house, his bedroom window fell out, uh, maybe broke his leg or something and he then started to panic, is this the end of my life? And he inquired of all the wrong people. He tried to extend his life by inquiring of and seeking help from Beelzebub in, in the chapter before this, Beelzebub. So he tries to extend his life and Elijah reminds him you can't. That's how these two evil kings approach their good life coming to an end, if you like. They didn't handle it well. But we see in Elijah someone who handles it very well. He lived a life well for God. That's what we've been looking at the past few weeks, haven't we? He was a a life lived for God. But he also had a life that ended well. Have you ever thought about that, about your own life for a moment? What would it look like for your life to end well. To end well. Many of us are very focused on living well and doing as much as we possibly can and experiencing as much as we can, doing as much good as we possibly can or whatever it is. But few of us think about, Lord, I want my life to end well. And what would that look like? If any of you ever do um, night prayer in the Anglican Church, using the liturgy of the Anglican Church, evening prayer begins with these words in the Anglican Church. The Lord Almighty grant us a quiet night and a perfect end. That's how you're supposed to end every day in the Anglican, in the Church of England, in our Christian discipleship. But it's also pointing beyond that, of course, to the last night, the last end. Lord Almighty, grant us a quiet night and a perfect end. Well, what does that look like? Well, let's just look at Elijah's life uh, for a moment. This story that we encounter in this last chapter, in 2 Kings chapter 2. It's an interesting story, isn't it? Because Elijah goes on a journey, his last journey. He's had many adventures, hasn't he? He's lived really well. He's been on many journeys and adventures. He's confronted the prophets of Baal. He's wandered the wilderness. He's been fed by ravens. He's challenged kings. He's performed miracles. He's raised up a whole uh, school of discipleship with many, many prophets. He's handed on the mantle to Elisha. And now he's on his final journey where he travels from a place called Gilgal, where he had his home maybe and he had a school of prophets and he's going to journey all the way down to the Jordan River where that's going to be where he ends his life. And he journeys, that journey is symbolic because it starts off in the hill country of Gilgal and it travels all the way down through Bethel and he travels then to Jericho. If you know about Jericho, it's right down by the Jordan River, the first city that the people have got arrived at when they entered the Promised Land. And then they arrive at the Jordan River. That journey he goes on, it's maybe, what, 30 miles, maybe. It's symbolic of his journey towards 
meeting his maker. His descent down towards death. Because the Jordan River in the Bible is significant of that boundary between the land of the living, if you like, and the wilderness beyond it. Do you remember when the people of God came from Egypt and they travelled across the desert through the Red Sea and when they came to the Jordan River, it was like another Red Sea moment. They had to cross over from the wilderness to the promised land. And if you remember back then, the Jordan River was parted just like the Red Sea was parted and they travelled through on dry ground. And so Elijah's now approaching the Jordan River again, that symbolic that symbolism of death itself, where he's travelling towards it and he's going to cross it to the other side into death. Now what's interesting, of course, is he knows that this is his last journey. It says that, look at verse 3, it says, The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Elisha replies, I know. They know it. Elijah knows it. Is he, though, as he's wandering this last journey of his, filled with panic and fear? Because I would be, I would be walking very, very slowly. (laughs) I'm just going to go and wander off this way and just maybe have a spot of lunch. It's been a long day, it's a hot day, maybe we'll do it tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, I'm just going to catch up with so-and-so, maybe we'll delay it another day. I'd be making all kinds of excuses not to get down to the Jordan River wouldn't you? Eking out each moment. And he kind of does this, Elijah kind of does this farewell tour. He stops at all these towns where he's got prophets and disciples that he's raised up and they kind of join him on that journey. So he's kind of just gathering everyone together. This is my farewell tour, if you like, Elijah's doing. Because he knows. He knows that this is his last day. How are you going to feel when you, if you knew it was your last day. I like to think I would approach it like Elijah, but I also fear I might approach it like so many do with fear and trepidation and trembling and desperately trying to backpedal, row the oars as hard as I can the other direction. What else do we learn from Elijah's story? Well, what I love about Elijah is he he gathers round him all his disciples. He wants Christian fellowship, doesn't he, on his last day. He wants to gather around him those whom he loves, those whom he's influenced, and they kind of journey with him. And he tests Elisha a little bit, doesn't he? Elisha is his main disciple, isn't it? His main follower, his main apprentice. And Elisha, he keeps saying to Elisha, don't worry, you don't have to come with me. And I think he's just testing Elisha because Elisha's like, no, of course I'm going to come with you. I wouldn't dare to leave your side. Not on your last day. And so he goes with him. I think that would mean a lot to Elijah, wouldn't it? Maybe to all of us to know that we would have Christian fellowship as we journey towards that end. Really important. But here's the point. Is that the prophets and Elisha can only go so far with Elijah. They go right up to, the prophets get to the River Jordan, but they stop there. Elisha, though, actually does cross with Elijah uh, across the River Jordan. But then he can go no further. Now, that's the truth, I'm afraid, friends, of all our lives. We might have 
hundred people around us who love us. And that's important and good. But none of us can go all the way with one another. Not on the final journey. But what do we see when Elisha finally comes to that moment? Is he alone? Is he alone when he actually does come to be and go to heaven? He's not, is he? What happens? An incredible thing happens, doesn't it? Um, A whirlwind from heaven comes. And suddenly, Elijah and Elisha see a chariot of fire come down from heaven. And it says it comes in between Elijah and Elisha. Can you imagine the scene? Maybe Elisha and Elijah sort of step back a bit as this huge chariot of fire comes and separates the two. And I wonder, it doesn't say who's in the chariot, but it says there's a horse and a chariot. Is the chariot empty? I don't think it is. Because elsewhere in scripture, it's always either an angel inside that chariot or even other accounts, the Lord himself is in the chariot. It's not an empty chariot. You're going to see in a couple of chapters time that these chariots have angels within them and, and all the glory of the Lord. So actually when Elijah, Elijah finally gets whisked off to heaven, there's not one moment he was actually alone. For the believer, for the one who belongs to God, we need not fear that you will ever be alone. You will never, ever be abandoned in death if you belong to Jesus. In fact, there's probably not even going to be a moment in all this story where Elijah wasn't aware of the presence of the Lord. I find that a deep, deep encouragement. Because I fear being on my own on that day. But what difference would it make as I come to close my eyes for the last time or breathe my last breath, I hear the sound of the chariots of fire coming. I hear the beating wings of the angels. I see the light of heaven and I feel the breeze of the breath of God upon me. Or even if I turn my eyes and I see Christ himself. What difference would that make for your last day? It would take all the fear away, wouldn't it? If a chariot pulled up, Maybe I'm walking home and a chariot of fire pulls up, I'd say, and the, the Lord or the angel's in there saying, Tom, time to go. I think I'd say, fair enough. Why not? Let's go. Sounds good. Much better way than approaching a dark door that you can see only the abyss in. And friends, that is the alternative for those who have not got Christ in their life, is only a dark door with no bottom Only an endless wandering and a darkness and an abyss for the lost soul. So praise God that we believe today and belong to him. Because Elijah's life was a life lived well for God. But the beautiful truth, the most important aspect of Elijah's life is not so much everything he did for God. Was that his life belonged to God. 
that in the end the Lord God came for him because he was his and he was going to bring him home. That's what really matters in Elijah's life. He did amazing things in his life, absolutely. But it is the manner of his death that is the glorious miracle of all. That he actually belonged to Jesus Christ and he came for him. Notice in this story, it's very interesting, isn't it, that Elijah doesn't actually seem to die. He sort of steps onto this chariot and he gets whisked off to heaven and he's seen no more kind of thing. There's not actually an account of him lying in bed and coughing and spluttering and, and eventually closing his eyes and not opening them. He just sort of steps onto this chariot and gets whisked away. Amazing experience. There's only two people in scripture that happens for and that is Elijah and the other is well at three Jesus that's in his ascension well he does have that death bit doesn't he on the cross who's the other one who doesn't experience that kind of death but just gets whisked off to him Enoch Genesis chapter 5 Enoch walked with the Lord and he was no more um, Elijah and Enoch and we might think well that's not going to be my experience is it my experience might look more like the coughing and spluttering. <laughs> I mean, great if you suddenly saw me whisked off to heaven in a, in a chariot of fire, maybe. But listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never truly die. Will never truly die. Whoever lives by believing me will never die. You see, we might say, oh no, Jesus, we're all going to die. He's like, no, you're not. Not really. Because actually in scripture, there's never this, death is not this thing where you suddenly cease to exist. Okay, that's what a lot of people think death is. I'm going to die and then I'm going to cease to exist. Nothing. Jesus doesn't see death like that. Not for the believer. He sees it simply as you just change location. And actually you don't just suddenly, there's not even a massive delay in that. It's that he comes and meets you on your deathbed and takes you to be where he is. There's not even really a break in consciousness it's almost like you're falling asleep and then suddenly you wake up and you see him. And he takes you to be with him. For the believer, you never truly die. It is going to be a lot like Elijah for you. You might just one day see the presence of Christ saying, come with me. Well, what makes a good death? Is it you lived a good, long life, achieved everything you needed to achieve, did a good job, and you know, yeah, that's it, I'm done. Is that what it means to live and die a good death? Is it about having a peaceful end? Is it about not having trouble or tragedy or difficulty, but just simply a peaceful death? 
Is it about living for as long as you possibly can? Is that what it means to have had a good life and a good death? It can't be. Not all of us are going to have that kind of peaceful death. In the Bible, many people had very difficult endings. Not least Jesus. A life cut short, a violent and tragic death. Many people do. And many people in this life, we may not get the kind of death we hope for. Does that mean we can't have a good end, though? Not at all. Not at all. However our lives end, whatever manner they do, the Christian ends well. And this is how to do it. One, you are at peace with God now. (coughs) You are at peace with God now. Elijah was at peace with God. He had no fear or trepidation. He knew who he was walking with. He knew that God was sovereign in his life. He had depended on God every day for every need he had and saw him deliver him time after time after time. And so he had confidence. This is the second thing. So he had peace with God. Secondly, he had confidence in his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He had confidence in Jesus And finally, he had confidence in where he was going. He didn't have confidence that he was going to heaven because he knew he was the best kind of person in the world. He had confidence that he was going to heaven because he had confidence in the Christ who died for him, who saved him, who rescued him. However our lives end, the Christian ends well. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. That's two sparrows. Not even a sparrow will fall from the sky without the father's care catching them. If the Father in heaven is ready for when a sparrow dies and he cares about that and receives that life, Jesus then says, how much more precious are you than a sparrow? Just like Elijah, God was not caught out with his end. He'd planned it. He'd prepared for it. And he was ready to receive Elijah. If you're a believer in Christ today, Your heavenly father is not going to be caught out by your end. He'll be ready for it, prepared for it. He will care for you on that day tenderly. More than any other day in your life, he will care for you on that day. And you can be confident you'll know where you'll be going if you're one with Christ. So as we just reflect on Elijah's life, we see that he was... An extraordinary person, but yet he was also very ordinary. Scriptures tell us he was a man just like the rest of us. Faults and failures, problems and issues, fears and doubts. But he was a life of someone who just simply didn't live for himself, but lived for Jesus and followed him 
allowed God to be the ruler of his life. And today we know where Elijah is. Not just because we believe he's up in heaven. In, after this story, this isn't the last story of Elijah. Did you know that? In the Bible, he's dead, he's gone. Right, no more Elijah. He comes up again in scripture. He makes one more appearance a thousand years from that day. When on a mountain in Israel, Jesus ascends to a summit and he's transfigured in all his brightness with his friends. Who rocks up? Elijah and Moses. And they have a bit of a conversation together and fellowship. We know he's there and he's still there today. And a thousand years from now, you'll be there too. And 10,000 years from then. And one day Christ will bring us all together in the new heavens and the new earth when he returns. World without end. Let's pray.